0: We believe Bitcoin is heading to $100,000 and beyond as the Fed will be forced to continue and accelerate its debt monetization. Welcome back to The Bitcoin Layer, I'm Nick Bhatia. Today we explore the concept of debt monetization. Whether or not the Federal Reserve is engaged in this type of activity, what we believe will happen with Treasury debt and the Federal Reserve, and how all of this impacts Bitcoin. Make sure to stay to the end for a brand new chart that we have on Bitcoin showing you the path to $100,000 and beyond. Get up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free when you sign up with River at river.com slash TBL. River is our Bitcoin exchange of choice and we love River for two main reasons. Number one, they're Bitcoin only. That means there's no confusion when you go there. And number two, this is really important. River does not use a third party custodian for Bitcoin storage. That means when you buy Bitcoin with River, that Bitcoin is being held in a multi-signature storage solution by River itself, not by any custodian that might default or lose your coins. Check them out today at river.com slash TBL for that special offer. Let's start with the concept of debt monetization. What does debt monetization mean? It means the central bank purchases and holds the debt of the government so that the government isn't forced to access the market for the entire stock of its debt. What, is this, what does this all really mean? Well, if a government is able to borrow money from the investment public, pay a return to that investor, raise tax revenues enough to cover expenses and some or all of those interest and principal payments to debt holders it is operating under the laws of basic economics. If a government has to rely on its own central bank to purchase and hold its debt, and that central bank has to increase the quantity of that debt over a long time horizon, you are talking about now A situation in which the debt is being monetized by the Federal Reserve, in this case, and generally speaking, the central bank. The central bank has the ability to create money and use that created money to purchase the debt of the government. And in this way, a government is able to get a free ride from its central bank By allowing the central bank to create and purchase its debt. In the early years of quantitative easing many argued that the Fed wasn't in fact engaged in debt monetization because open market operations were simply needed at the time to make the financial system continue to operate. However, over a dozen years later we can safely say and unequivocally say that the Federal Reserve has purchased, held to maturity, a vast quantity of treasury debt to, again, categorically qualify what the Fed has done as debt monetization. Now, back to open market operations. Open market operations, Describe trading between the Fed and primary dealers, specifically in Treasury securities. And in those open market operations, the Fed is able to accomplish some of its policy goals. But those policy goals have blurred lines, especially as years have passed since the first quantitative easing programs. Those blurred lines have to do with just how much treasury debt the Fed is relied upon to purchase, even though the current stock of debt is declining during this second period of quantitative tightening. Today, I want to present to you the big picture, which is that we believe debt monetization will continue and will be forced to extend. This is the idea that QE can never go away. But because we are in a period of QT in which the Fed is reducing the stock of its treasury debt, many are under the premise that QT can continue and that QE isn't necessarily on the horizon. We take issue with this premise We do believe that more quantitative easing will be required, and we're going to show you why. Let's start with the first chart of looking at the Fed's liability side of its balance sheet. So mind you, when the Fed owns Treasuries, this debt monetization, it happens on the asset side of the balance sheet. right? We're going to get to that, but right now we're going to look at the liability side of the Fed's balance sheet. Now you can see we're looking at a five-year chart here. So it includes what happened during 2020 and 2021 with QE infinity programs. You can see the balance sheet spike in size and then continually grow throughout 2021, peak and then start to decline as quantitative tightening took hold. What we are focused on here in this chart is the makeup of the Fed's liability set as the size of its liabilities declines. Now, this only represents three of the line items on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, reserves, reverse repo facility, and the Treasury's general account. It doesn't include line items such as foreign repo facilities and cash, or physical notes that it has out in circulation. These are the dollar bills that you have in your wallet today. So this only includes $5 trillion of the Fed's approximately $7 trillion balance sheet, but we are not concerned about the size of the note stock right now. We are only concerned with reserves, reverse repo, and the Treasury's general account. So to recap what happens in quantitative easing, and that's the earlier part of the chart where you see the orange and the green components of this chart increase in size. This is before the reverse repo facility got going a few years ago. As you can see, there's no black portion during 2020. So when the balance sheet increased in 2020, The Fed is purchasing treasuries and doing so with brand new reserves. So that's why the orange portion of this graph increases. So the Fed creates reserves out of nowhere, out of nowhere, that's key to understand. It creates reserves out of nowhere and then uses those reserves to swap with banks that currently own treasuries. So for the banking system itself, it's just an asset swap, because those banks owned treasuries and now they own reserves. So it's just an asset swap at the banking level, but at the central banking level, those reserves were created from nowhere. That's why QE is called printing money. It's not physical printing of paper money, but it is digital creation of reserves that priorly did not exist. Now let's turn to QT, which is quantitative tightening, which is letting those treasuries that the Fed purchased with newly created reserves, letting those treasuries mature and not replenishing them. In that way, the asset side of the balance sheet decreases by the treasury, but what happens on the liability side is a reserve just eliminated from the Fed's balance sheet? No, that's not actually how it works. And we have this graph to show us that that is not, in fact, the case. Because as the total amount of Fed assets decline, so do the amount of liabilities. And as you can see, since 2022, the the overall stock of Fed assets has declined, driving liabilities lower. But the caveat here is that the reduction in assets does not mean one-to-one a reduction in reserves. Why is this the case? Because when the Treasury goes to issue another security to replace the one that just matured at the Fed, the money has to come from somewhere. It's not coming from the Fed anymore. It's coming from somewhere else. And so, at the margin, that somewhere else is the banking system, the primary dealers. And the primary dealers, when they settle that money with the Treasury Department, the money goes into the Treasury General account. This is the green area. The money goes there. If the money goes there, it must come out of one of these other two facilities Because these are the only places in which the Treasury Department will accept settlement for its securities. It can only come from a Federal Reserve branch reserve balance. Because the TGA, the Green Area, the Treasury General Account... That TGA area can only grow if one of these other black or orange areas decreases. So in that way, as the treasuries have matured off the Fed's balance sheet, the replenishing of those treasuries on net is coming from the reverse repo facility as you see the black area decrease and the orange area has actually increased over the past year. It was decreasing at the beginning of quantitative tightening, as you can see, and reverse repo was actually growing, accelerating the decline in reserves. But just looking at reserves by themselves is not giving us the full picture as to what is happening with the asset side of the balance sheet. The asset side of the balance sheet is what will impact liquidity in treasuries, and it will impact collateral values. The liability side is what will impact financial plumbing, for example, repo financing. This is because just as the Fed is funding the asset side of its balance sheet, treasuries, with reserves and reverse repo, dealers finance their holdings of treasuries on their asset side with repo financing on the liability side. This is cash that they borrow in order to finance the purchase of those treasuries using the treasuries themselves as collateral. This is the treasury repo market. This is measured by the SOFR rate now, which is a look-back average of these transactions. And the SOFR rate has a competition with the Fed's federal funds rate, which is their targeted policy rate. So now you can see how these things all relate to each other. The Fed is using its reverse repo facility and its reserves to finance its purchases of treasuries. So as the treasury stock declines at the Fed, It matters that it's declining, but how it impacts the liability side is a separate and important dynamic. So we are considering both of those things at all times at the Bitcoin layer. But now that we have discussed the difference between the decline in the asset side of the balance sheet and the decline in the liability side of the balance sheet, let's now just focus back on the asset side of the balance sheet but i wanted to give you guys the context here because we've been talking a lot about reverse repo and reserves we're going to go away from that and just look at the asset side for a second now now soma refers to the system open market account it's the fed's portfolio so the fed's asset side of its balance sheet is mostly this soma portfolio its portfolio of securities, including treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Now, the New York Fed trades the SOMA portfolio, and the New York Fed is engaged in QE and QT over the past decade-plus. Right now, QT, in which the green line and the black line, which are its stock of treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities, are declining. They are letting them mature. So in the case of mortgage-backed securities, this means that home borrowers are repaying uh, principal and interest, that money goes to the Fed, and it is then destroyed from either reserves or reverse repo. The Treasury stock in green declines, and the Treasury stock declines as the Treasury securities purchased by the Fed originally mature. When those maturity payments are made, either the Treasury Department itself, the TGA balance, will decline, but as we know, in the era of permanent deficits, the Treasury General account, account is always replenished because the Treasury is always borrowing more than it spends on the aggregate level. That is evidenced by annual deficits going uh, back multiple decades now. We haven't had a surplus on the federal level of the United States government for several decades now. So the sum of the green line and the black line will show us that the orange line, the size of its balance sheet, is in decline and this decline in the balance sheet, specifically today we, we are going to focus on the green line, which is the stock of treasury debt. This line declining does not mesh with the current outlook for total treasury debt and what we believe will be a march towards 40 and $50 trillion of debt over the next several years. So now that green line of total treasuries owned by the Fed becomes the orange line in this chart, so you can see $4 trillion of treasuries owned by the Fed. But in this maroon line, what we see here is that the total number of treasuries outstanding has increased to $34 trillion. Now anybody with any common sense here can see that this is going to turn into a problem. Treasury debt will not just be financed by the rest of the world ad infinitum. There will be consequences of this stock of treasury debt issued by the treasury, issued by the government, there will be consequences for this increasing at the current pace it is. Now, do we believe in an explicit default of the Treasury? No, that means the Treasury will always pay back the money it borrowed. But how will it do it? Where will the money come from? If the money doesn't come from the Fed, let's start with the counterfactual here. If the money doesn't come from the Fed, it will come from the rest of the world. The rest of the world will likely demand a higher interest rate than currently is offered by the Treasury Department. This could steepen the curve and send 10 to 30 30 year yields multiple percent higher it will go multiple percent higher because in order to find the buyers, the Treasury Department will have to offer higher and higher yields to pay for all of that debt. Now, mind you, this doesn't even include all the interest payments that the Treasury has to make and borrow just to pay off because it's in deficit. Okay, we're just talking about the total amount of debt to cover the deficits from the spending itself outside of the interest payments. It's not like eliminating interest payments would suddenly put the Treasury in a surplus. And that, in fact, is not the case, right? Treasury interest payments, eliminating those would not send the government into a surplus. So what would happen if there were several higher treasury yields it would mean every other investment would have to offer even higher yields that would send current asset prices a lot lower as discounting would have to be done at much much higher interest rates that is the counterfactual here it's also partly why we believe the fed won't be able to let its treasury debt decline as the total treasury debt outstanding increases at the current pace. We just don't believe that the gap between these two numbers can continue to increase forever, and we don't continu- We don't think it can continue to increase for that much longer. Now, let's take a look at the treasury debt owned by the Fed, which is, again, this orange line, now, we're going to zoom out a little bit, and we are going to add another line here, which is in purple, which is the percentage of outstanding treasury debt owned by the Fed. So, of course, the orange and the, and the purple lines here are going to look similar to each other. But what you can see here is that historically, the Fed hasn't ...owned much more than 5% of all Treasuries outstanding. Now it owns 11.7%, and that number is down from well over 15% at the peak. But with Treasury debt rising, by itself that means that the stock of Treasury should be increasing at the Fed, not decreasing. So those two things are in conflict. But also, look at what happens in 2012, in 2020, when this line falls below 10%. The Fed responds with more quantitative easing, more purchases of treasuries. So there is a dynamic in which the Fed is forced back into this market to monetize the debt. That is the big problem here. And that's what we've been describing for a long time as students of Bitcoin, because as students of Bitcoin, we see the scarcity of Bitcoin supply for what it is, which is a miracle and a rarity. It's not like you can find other assets that are provably as scarce. That's why Bitcoin and real estate are often compared because they both represent a form of finite property. In terms of treasury debt, how finite is treasury debt? Not at all. As well as this percentage here of treasury debt owned by the Fed cannot fall below a certain number, or else the, s- the system experiences problems it is our estimation then that as the treasury continues to issue debt not only will the fed be forced to absorb treasury debt just to stay as a 10 plus percentage player in this market in order to be a stabilizing force but that the percentage will have to increase that the fed will need to absorb The amount of treasuries being issued because the asset side of the Fed's balance sheet is much more capable of absorbing higher stocks, meaning higher quantities, because why? Think about why the Fed is positioned to absorb treasury debt on its asset side of its balance sheet. Much better than the private sector, including primary dealers, including investors, even when it comes to pension plans and insurance companies that are long-term holders without leverage. Why? And the hint there is the word leverage that I used. The reason is the Fed can finance its asset purchases on the liability side by doing what? By creating reserves out of nowhere. So, when we think about how the public sector, how the meaning, meaning investors, how public investors, private investors, banks, governments around the world, how they are going to purchase treasuries, a lot of it needs to be funded from something, from somewhere, some form of financing. How does the treasury do it? They just create the money. So we have to think about bank accounting. We have to think about the liability side of the Fed's balance sheet. It can just create reserves to do this. And the rest of the world cannot. And the rest of the world is limited by the amount of credit issued by the banking system, which we're going to talk about in a second here. And for all these reasons, we believe that the Fed will be forced to monetize the debt. It's not just open market operations and swapping reserves for treasuries in order to manipulate the yield curve and monetary policy and the financial plumbing of the system. It is because of the total stock of treasury debt going up. It didn't necessarily have to be like this 10 to 15 years ago when the debt-to-GDP was at a much more manageable level. The U.S. government has gone off the rails in terms of sequential deficits that are multi-trillion dollars in size, entitlement spending and military spending, have no sign of decreasing for separate and distinct reasons. We are not going to get into the politics behind any of that today, but what we can see is that across both political parties, the expanse of the federal deficit and the spending never seems to stop. And so Bitcoin is positioned here to benefit but it's not the only form of property that is benefiting from this dynamic. So you have to consider that. But Bitcoin is what we believe to be and what the market clearly has assigned. Bitcoin is the best way to express the understanding of this debt monetization dynamic. Historically, looking back at thousands of years of data, we can see That debt monetization is essentially the same thing as currency devaluation, and in order to protect yourself from that, you must own assets. And Bitcoin is that digital asset best positioned to benefit from this dynamic. Let's go into the next chart here. Now, what I'm trying to show you here on this next chart, and you'll notice Bitcoin as the smallest. Number on the screen at just over $1 trillion. What I'm trying to show you here is the size of central banks relative to the size of domestic banking systems. This isn't even getting into much of the cross border flow of credit. This is really just looking at domestic systems all normalized on a dollar basis. So in this dark green, you have the China banking system, the lending system at $50 trillion. We're not even sure if this is a number that fully encapsulates the true size of the lending system over there. You can see how much larger it is than the United States credit system, which is just above $12 trillion per this one metric. Now we know that deposits are closer to twenty trillion, so the the funding side is a certain size in the United States. That's bigger than this, uh, that's larger than this twelve trillion dollar figure. But again, we're looking at the asset side here of the banking system. We're not looking at deposits. We're not looking at reserves. We're not looking at repo balances. What we're looking at is lending and future cash flows existing on the asset side of banks balance sheets now what you can see here including the 20 plus trillion dollars in euro loans outstanding on the asset side of banks balance sheet what you can see here is that there are over 80 trillion dollars of assets on banks balance sheets in which they are expecting to be made whole on loans that they have made this dominates the size of central bank balance sheets and their holding of sovereign debt at their go- at their own government levels we know the fed owns treasuries the european central bank owns the debt of european sovereign nations the japanese central bank owns government debt of japan and so we know that these amounts owned by the central banks are large, but look at how much larger the banking systems are lending to individuals and corporations. In this way, we are able to estimate the amount of role needed for the entire financial system. It's much larger than just this $34 trillion in treasury debt which if it has an average maturity of about four to five to six years, it means that five, approximately $5 trillion of treasury debt needs to be rolled over every year. That number could be $10 trillion any day now. And so if that continues to be the case, the $10 trillion in debt that needs to be rolled every year has to go up against the $80 of bank debt that needs to be rolled, as well as several tens of trillions of dollars of sovereign debt around the world. There is so much debt to be rolled. In fact, we just learned the latest figures somewhere north of $300 trillion of debt. That role has to come from somewhere. And if the Fed can create the liability side with just the stroke of a pen or the strike of a key, it becomes much easier to imagine why the Fed will be the party that increases the asset side of its balance sheet the most. We are talking about a a long-term trend here of debt monetization, of currency devaluation. But notice how I'm not talking about the dollar dying relative to other currencies. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, the dollar should remain one of the stronger currencies relative to the rest of the world. I'm not making any explicit call on the dollar index itself just on a relative basis, the dollar will remain strong. And it is my opinion that it will knock off currencies altogether as those individual countries experience banking crises. The debt monetization trend here is something that matters a lot for everyday people because currency destruction means asset prices get get more expensive and if asset prices get more expensive and you haven't participated it will leave people behind and that's what bitcoin offers it offers people a way to secure property to secure an asset that protects against currency devaluation in any denomination you don't have to buy a house you don't have to buy a building you don't have to even buy one share of an ETF that holds equities, which are all forms of property. All you have to do is buy a few sats. And in that way, Bitcoin is an unprecedented protection against debt monetization. I promised you a Bitcoin chart that you've never seen before from us. And now I want to present it to you. This is what we view as the path to six-figure Bitcoin and beyond. So, on the screen here, I have for you a chart of Bitcoin expressed in logarithmic terms because Bitcoin is experiencing this exponential growth path that many technologies have experienced, including internet usage, email usage, and smartphone usage. We believe Bitcoin is another one of these exponential trends, meaning that eventually well over a billion people will be using Bitcoin's technology, whether or not they own it directly. Now, Bitcoin's chart here is basically what I've done is I've moved it a few years to the left so that you can start to see future prices before they happen. Okay. I want to express just a couple disclaimers. Number one, we're not offering financial advice. You need to do your own research. We're not an investment firm or a trading service. Okay. Number two, while we are showing you the path to six-figure Bitcoin, we're not predicting it over any explicit time horizon. Our goal here is to show you why we believe it's going there. And we certainly believe it is going there. So that is the prediction that we're making. But predicting how fast and what price it will get to is not something that we want to predict. We want you to see the numbers yourselves, understand the exponential adoption, and estimate on your own terms what you believe will happen to this network. Now, we've shown you some conservative estimation some aggressive lines as well here and I want to break down each one of these lines and what they mean now first of all in orange is the price again expressed in logarithmic terms in green I have two green arrows here these green arrows are meant to show you not only some form of price support and price trend but they're two separate arrows, one at a sharper slope and one at a much more tame slope, to show you that exponential trends don't they don't show up as linear on an exponential chart. It means that as an exponential trend continues to develop, it should decline in the pace of increase. And that's why you see Bitcoin's chart on an exponential basis look like it's leveling off. Because the level of exponential growth levels off. The price is still increasing exponentially. But on a logarithmic basis, it does look like it flattens out. And so that's why I have two lines here. One line in the first several years of Bitcoin's price action. And then a second showing basically post 2020 price action which we are estimating here will be a more mellow slope of exponential increase relative to the 2011 to 2020 or 2017 era okay so that's why we have two green arrows here on the screen now The next two lines I want to show you here are in red. What I've done is I've provided a $100,000 strike and a quarter of a million dollar strike. So that shows you really our estimate on where Bitcoin is headed over the next several years. And again, we don't know when, but it is our estimate that that is where Bitcoin is heading. So, we have these two red lines here to show you the target zone. Now, the first, back, going back to the green arrow that is at, of a shallower slope, it reaches the $100,000 area at the end of 2027. So, that is about four years from now. That shows you a path to six figure bitcoin over the next four years as one potential path that bitcoin can choose to get there now as we know bitcoin goes through extreme boom and bust cycles but over a long time horizon the levels at which it busts to continue to increase over time right one being at about two hundred dollars post-2013, one being at $3,000 post-2017, another being at about $15,000 post-2021. We've tripled since that level. So, that is the slow path that we see to six-figure Bitcoin. Now, let's take a look at the blue line. The blue line is an increasing trend line using what happened in 2021 with those two consecutive all-time highs, middle of the year and end of the year, as a guide as to when we could get to this area, that line puts us at a quarter of a million dollars by the end of 2027, so in four years. So those are two varying projections at looking at the current trend and extrapolating it into the future. Now, the black line that is a trend line here connects the 2017 peak to the 2020 middle of the year price. And that puts a quarter of a million dollars by the end of this year as a target if that trend line is reached. And that would... Require very speculative and hot type of market for the rest of the year. So, again, we're not predicting that at all. We're just showing you how the price can get to 100,000 to 250,000 different ways, just looking at this log chart. What does this chart tell us? It tells us that the range of outcomes for Bitcoin is obviously quite large. It tells us that if Bitcoin were to fall below $30,000 or $20,000, that this exponential growth trend could potentially be nullified altogether. And it also tells us that $250,000 Bitcoin is actually in context of the current Bitcoin chart by the end of this year in 10 months. So as market technicians, what we understand is that there are different participants expecting different paths of prices all around the world, including what we probably estimate to be Traders that believe $250,000 over the next 10 months is in, is, in the, is in a likely range of outcome. So others are probably looking at this chart thinking that $100,000 Bitcoin by the end of 2027 is a likely outcome, meaning that 100% returns over this three and a half year time horizon expressed on an annualized basis are still in the double digits returns and that would be a a good investment relative to current treasury yields which would compound somewhere in the five percent area so now let's use this chart to answer the question how could we get to one hundred thousand dollars by the end of this year that would be the intersection of the black vertical line and the lower red line of $100,000. And what you could see is that that intersection is actually below the where the blue trend intersects the end of 2024. And meaning that a move of Bitcoin to $100,000 by the end of 2024 would be in context and not even reaching what would be considered overextended or at the top of the range levels using the two prices that we got at the end of 2021 to show us the potential of Bitcoin's total market size. It will certainly be a fascinating year on both the Bitcoin price front, but of course on the front of treasury debt, federal reserve balance sheet operations, And the whole concept of debt monetization as the structural deficits appear to be locked in for many, many years to come. Make sure to subscribe to our free research letter at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe. By doing this, you will be able to stay with us every step of the way as we cover all global markets, including and featuring Bitcoin. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Nick Bhatia. We'll catch you again next time at the Bitcoin layer. The Bitcoin layer is proud to be sponsored by River. Go check them out at river.com slash TBL for a special offer of up to $100 worth of Bitcoin for free. Now River is an amazing Bitcoin only exchange that offers lightning network withdrawals and deposits. They offer zero fee recurring orders and a really cool new feature that allows you to text Bitcoin to your friends and family. Go check them out, river.com slash TPL.